Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Good morning, Journey. We are in week number three in our series going through the book of James that we're calling our series Faith That Works. Because James has a theme that he tries to unpack throughout the whole of his book, and that's this. What does genuine faith look like? One of the ways that he answers that question is he says, genuine faith is a faith that works meaning that our faith actually works itself out in our life. It impacts day-to-day how we think, how we live. It impacts the world around you. James wants us to have a question kind of rattling around in the back of our mind as we're engaging in his letter. He wants us to be asking the question, is my faith genuine? Is it the real deal? Does my faith work in my life from day to day? This book's challenging. There's no other way to say it. This book is challenging. Because when James holds up the picture of what genuine faith looks like, we've also got to hold our life up to that picture. And that picture that James paints, it scrutinizes our life. It evaluates our life. And that's good. That's what he wants us to do. Because we don't want to just read his book. We want to ask ourselves the question, am I the real deal? Is my faith genuine? I love the way that James engages the book because he engages it on multiple levels. He speaks to our head. He speaks to information that we need, things that we need to understand are true about God. There are things that we need to believe. But James doesn't stop there. A faith that is genuine, a faith that works, moves from our head and it goes to our heart. It actually starts to change us on the inside out. It changes our affections. It changes our values. It changes what matters to us. But it doesn't stop there either. It's not just about our heart. It moves from our head. It goes to our heart. But James says really, really clearly, it moves to our hands. And when I say hands, what I'm talking about is it moves into how we live our life day to day, moment by moment. It impacts the way we think, but it also impacts the way that we live. And as we've been starting through the book of James, just in chapter one, we've talked about a genuine faith deals with trials because we're all gonna have trials. We're all gonna have suffering. Last week, 
Pastor Brian gave a great sermon on temptations. We are all gonna face temptations. And I really appreciated Brian and his willingness to be really vulnerable about temptations that he experiences. Temptations around food, he talked about. We've got a story about Brian from this week. Wednesday, uh, he mentioned it earlier in the hosting that we had a council meeting that night, but Brian and I have a standing meeting on Wednesday afternoon. And so Brian just says, hey, just so you know this too, at the council meeting, we have dinner there. So we're meeting right before that. He says, hey, why don't we go get a bite to eat at Bar 3 Barbecue? So we show up at Bar 3 Barbecue. I've never been there. And Brian orders cheese fries. He, uh, to his credit, he actually tried to order a small order, but they said, we only have one size of cheese fries. Here's what came to our table. It was this platter just loaded with fries, completely drizzled with cheese. But that, doesn't, that isn't where it ends. On top of these cheesy fries were these huge chunks of burnt end brisket covering the top and with more cheese on top of it. Brian last week talked about what it's like to move to the edge of temptation. Well, I just need to tell you that your poor pastor, he fell off the edge (laughs) this week. And not only did he fall off the edge, he grabbed my hand and pulled me over with him. But I wanna let you know that uh, we've repented and we're back on the narrow road with Jesus dealing with other temptations in our life. Thank you, Brian, for cheese fries. Go get cheese fries at Bar 3 Barbecue. Trials, temptations. James is gonna take us into something else today. What is our relationship to truth? What is our relationship to truth as expressed in God's word? And here's the way I think James would ask the question. What is your relationship to the authority of God's word? Is God's word an authority in your life? There's a couple of different ways we can think about the authority of scripture. And James would help us understand that if you have no faith or you have an immature faith, this is how the authority works. It's you in authority looking down on the scriptures. You evaluate the scriptures. And as you turn the page, you pick and choose. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This offends me. I'm gonna reject that. I'm gonna take that because that relates to how I think. But we are in authority over the scriptures. But James says, that's not a genuine faith. That is not a faith that works. The faith that works that James is gonna talk to us about is not us standing in authority over the scriptures. It's us placing ourselves under the scriptures, under the authority of scriptures. And it's not us looking over, paging through, picking what we like and don't like. It's allowing the word of God over us to page through our life, asking us the question, what does the scripture like about how we're living? What does the scripture not like about how we're living? What does the scripture say about how we need to change? What does the scripture say about what we need to keep doing? That's a faith that works, a faith that stands under the authority of Scripture, listening to what Scripture says 
is true about us. I think that someone would say, if they had the genuine faith, the faith that works, that James is talking about, they would say this, I want God to tell me how to live. I don't want the world to tell me how to live. I don't want people around me. I don't want culture to define how I want to live. James saying a faith that works says, I want God to tell me how to live. We love his authority. It's not just something that we stand over, but it becomes like food for us, like air that we need, water that we need to live. It becomes everything to us. We want God to tell us how to live. I don't have to tell you that that probably is not a popular opinion in and around our culture. In fact, that opinion bumps up against our culture. And you know what else it bumps up against? It bumps up against my nature and your nature as well. There is a power struggle there. Because if we really try, friends, if we really think about what does it look like to engage the scriptures, there are things that you're gonna read here that are going to offend you. There are things that you're gonna read in the scriptures that are gonna critique your life. There are things that you're gonna read that are gonna challenge the way that you're living your life, the way that you're thinking. It's gonna ask you to change. The only way, the only possible way for that to not be true is if your thinking on everything in this world lines up 100% with God's thinking. 100% lines up. But let me tell you this, none of us does that. You may be a great human being, I'm sure you're all wonderful people, but you're not God. There are ways that you think about that isn't God's plumb line, his absolute truth for what, how we're to live this life and what is true about him and about us and about the world around us. And when there's a variance, James is saying what we need to do is that we need to match our life we need to match our thinking to that of God. Does everything in the Bible line up with how I think? No, absolutely it doesn't. But here's what I know. Here's a faith that works, is that when I come to that place where it doesn't line up, I know I'm wrong. God's not wrong, I'm wrong. I'm the one that needs to bend to him not his word to me. Do I understand everything that I read in the scripture? No, I don't. There are things that are super challenging for me, but I know when I don't understand, it's not because there's something wrong with God. I've got to grow in my understanding of what it is that God wants to communicate to me. But even the things that I do know, there's plenty for me to apply to my life. I love the saying, from Mark Twain. He said, it ain't the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things in the Bible I do understand that bother me. What are we doing with the things that we know to be true in God's word? Are we doing anything with it? Are we applying that to our life? And that's where James is gonna jump in with us in James chapter one, starting in verse 22. I want us to think about four phrases in these handful of verses that will describe a genuine faith, a faith that works in how it responds 
to truth, to God's authority. James chapter one, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. In this text of scripture, James is gonna walk us through the head. What do we need to be thinking about? He's gonna talk about our heart. He's gonna talk about our hands, but he's also gonna talk about a hope, a hope that we have in responding to the scriptures. First, he tells us that a genuine faith, number one, it looks intently, talking to our head, talking to our mind, real faith looks intently. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. That phrase that James uses, to look intently, it has the idea of the meaning of getting down, stooping down, and giving your attention to something with all that you have, seeking understanding, wanting to see, wanting to know, wanting to understand. Look intently. Just evaluate for a second. How do you approach God's word? Do you look intently? Maybe a more specific question I could ask is, is how much time do you spend? You can't engage and try to understand without spending a significant amount of time. How disciplined are you to doing that regularly in your life? Is there a rhythm in your life of hearing and responding to God's voice in the scripture? Are you systematic in any way? Are there ways that you're trying to engage all of scripture so that you know all the things that God has said? Are you looking intently? It's not that we just kind of stand back and do kind of a a gloss over from 35,000 feet. James is saying we need to get in there. We need to ponder the things that God says in his word. We need to reflect on those things. We need to meditate on them. Let them roll around in our mind, even memorizing his scriptures so that we have the opportunity for God to use those in and around our heart and life, even when we don't have our Bibles with us. We pray when there's things that we don't understand, when there's things that we're curious about, we ask God to reveal that to us and we ask him questions. God, help me understand. Do we look intently? Okay, I'm gonna get really practical, really fast. One of the things that we've been talking about and asking us to do as a congregation is the Journey Church reading plan. We just started it in the beginning of January. We're gonna be reading through the New Testament together. I would love for you to join with us in that. You're not even that far behind. See, the sooner you get behind, the more time you have to catch up. So it's good that you're behind now. But join with us. Jump in. We're only on Matthew chapter 16. And you don't even have to read the first 15 chapters if you don't want to. Just jump in with us. But when you do, jump in. There are hundreds of people already doing this. But when you do, I want you to ask the question. 
when you engage with the scripture, honestly before God, God, what is it that you want to say to me? And just even picture in your mind as you're reading that you are placing yourself under the authority of God's word, his voice to you. Here's what Paul said to his disciple Timothy as he was talking to him about the importance of scripture and what it's for. Paul says this, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. This word, it is God-breathed. It is the ex hailing of God. It is the voice of God. It is the whispers of God. His still, small voice. Can you just try to think with me for one minute? The voice that we're talking about here in the scriptures, it's the same voice that spoke into nothing and created everything that we see. That voice, the power of that voice wants to whisper into your life through his word. What a privilege, what an honor that we have. But as he continues, Paul talking to Timothy, he says there's things that God's voice is useful for. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we look intently, looking intently when we get down up close, the kinds of questions we want to be asking God is, what is it that you want to teach me? It's useful for teaching. What are ways that I'm thinking that aren't accurate, God? That I may not have an accurate picture of you. I may not have an accurate picture of myself. I may not have an accurate accurate picture of people around me or how we're to interact with one another or the nature of your kingdom and how I'm to be a part of advancing your kingdom. God, teach me the things that I need to know. But Paul also says his word is useful for rebuking. Because as Brian talked about last week with temptation, we have this propensity to continue to move to the edge, to move away from God and take our own path. The word of God can help rebuke us, turn us around, stop. The word would say, stop going in that direction, turn around. But it's also useful for correcting. When we turn around, where do we need to go? How do we correct back to the path that God has for us? God's word is useful for that. Lastly, he says, training in righteousness. What are the things that I need to build into my life to keep me on that narrow path with Jesus? God's word shows us that. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. God wants to speak to us. The second phrase that I love from James chapter one is that someone looks at his face in a mirror. And here's where James is talking about the heart. When we hold up the mirror of our life, the word to our life, it shows us our heart. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We've all used mirrors for different things. As I get older, I like doing this way less. 
The things that I see are not always encouraging. Certain angles here kind of makes me look like I'm losing my hair a little bit. But when I look into this mirror, this mirror shows me who I really am. There's no hiding from myself in this mirror. And I see the things that are wrong. I see this like, I'd noticed this at the nine o'clock, this crazy eyebrow hair. Something has, I know, I need to pull it. Absolutely. I can watch and I can see these crazy hairs that grow out of the very top of my ears. There's something, I need to see that so I can do something about it. I can see places that I missed shaving. Holding up a mirror, it shows us who we really are. But a mirror like that only shows us what we look like on the outside. God's word is a mirror for what is happening on the inside, what the Bible calls our heart. When we hold up the word of God to our life, it shows us what's happening underneath the hood in our life. It shows us places that God wants us to see. Let's just be honest. There are challenging things that we see in our life because we know that there are things in our life that don't always line up with the way that God thinks and the way that he wants us to live. But let me remind you as well, it's not all negative. The things that we see in the mirror, the things that God wants us to see about ourselves, it's not all negative. He wants us to see how dearly loved we are. That in Christ, we are 100% accepted. That we would know, that we would hold the mirror of the word up to our life and we know that God values us. That in many ways, we are important to him and all the things that he's trying to do in and around this world. He wants to use us as part of his plan. There are beautiful things that God wants us to see about ourselves. He wants us to hold the word up to our heart. I love how the writer of Hebrews describes what's happening with the word. Let me remind you that this word was written by authors who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write these very words to us that we would have for all time. That same spirit that moved them to write these words, the scriptures will tell us, lives in the life of every genuine follower of Jesus. That spirit that lives in us takes these words, holds it up to our life, speaks to our mind, and changes us from the inside out. Here's how the writer of Hebrews describes what I just said. He says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's alive. It's alive in us, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word sees inside. The things that we can hide from other people, we don't hide from God and his word shows us what it is that he sees. When we engage the word as an authority in our life, it will challenge us. It will provoke us. It will confront us. What the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand is that we don't just read the Bible because the Bible is alive, the Bible reads us 
and allows us to see what God wants us to know and show us who we really are. I love the quote from J.B. Phillips. He wrote a paraphrase, translation of the Bible. And he said, doing that work with a Bible that is alive and active, he says it was like trying to rewire a house, but you couldn't turn off the electricity. It was just continually speaking into his life and to his heart. James would say, the word will reveal our heart, but he would also say, that's not enough. Genuine faith isn't just about what we think and in our head. It's not just about our affections and our heart. It's about our hands. We need to do something. The third thing James says is do what it says. Do what the Bible says. Verse 22, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I said earlier, one question that we ask when we approach the scriptures is, God, what do you wanna say to me? A second question that I hope you hear me say this over and over and over again until Jesus takes me home. I'm gonna keep saying it. The second question is, God, what do you want me to do? Not just what do you want me to hear, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to invest? How do you want me to apply the things that you've said to me? Because James gives this picture that sometimes we can hear what God wants and do absolutely nothing about it. And he gives kind of this silly example of a fool that they can see really clearly who they are, but they walk away from the mirror and instantly they don't remember who they are. It's like, I see myself and now I can't even pick myself out of a police lineup. He said, that's foolish. That is absolutely foolish. And he said, we can be deceived. We can actually be deceived. We can come here and we can listen to things taught. We can have an experience of some kind. Maybe we get confronted. Maybe we get encouraged. Maybe we're challenged. Maybe we get comforted. We have some kind of emotional experience and we walk away and think, that's enough. I had my religious experience. James is saying, no. Absolutely not. It's not enough. Just simple information or even having our heart moved does not bring transformation. It's about when we actually apply the things that we're hearing from God. God, what is it that you want me to do? It's about obedience. Obedience brings transformation. Here's why I think this is becoming increasingly difficult in our culture. You are bombarded day by day, moment by moment, by thousands of messages. I was just kind of curious, so I actually looked it up on Google, and so it's true because I found it on the internet. But they said between six and 10,000 advertisements come across your mind in any given day. People are spending billions and billions of dollars trying to get you to do something with your money. But we have so many of those messages, we become conditioned not to respond to hardly any of them. Here's the problem. I think that same kind of thinking invades the church. We are exposed to so many messages, but if we don't actually apply them, we can become conditioned 
Just saying it's okay just to hear things and to have an experience and never apply them to our life. We can just be happy to go to church. And as long as nothing is asked of me, as long as everything that is said to me accommodates me and how I already think about life and how I'm already living my life, everything is fine. And James says, no, that's not genuine faith. That is not a faith that works. Anytime, he said, that you see that your life is out of kilter, with the truth of God's authority, we line our life up. We do something to align with him. I wanna give you a challenge. Not that hard, not complicated, but I actually think it can be hard. I want you to do something. I want you to ask that simple question today. God, what is it that you want me to do? And here's why I want it to be a challenge. I don't want you to leave the parking lot today till you have an answer to that question. God, what do you want me to do? What is a step of faith that I can actually take as a result of something that I heard today? Don't leave the parking lot until you have an answer to that question. And if you're watching online, don't close your computer. Don't turn off the TV until you have an answer to that question. And I wanna raise the bar even just a little bit more. If you're here with someone, I want you to ask each other that question. What is it that God told you to do? Be accountable to one another. Don't leave until you can give an answer to the people that you came with. Little pressure there. You can sit out in the parking lot as long as you want. You can sit there all week if it takes that. But if you're there and nothing's coming to your mind, let me ask you this, just pray. Would you just say, God, would you show me what it is that you want me to do? But let's not Continue to just be hearers of the word and not doers of the word. One of the things Brian shared last week that I just thought was really encouraging, he shared about how when he was a young man, he began to write letters to his future wife. And I was asking him a little bit more specifically, like, what kind of things did you write about? He said, I, I wrote letters about significant things that happened in my life, like when I was baptized and how I wish that she would have been there for that, but I want to tell her about that one day. He began to write about things in terms of what he thought she would be like and how excited he was to be her husband. Sometimes he wrote really honest things like, I'm really lonely right now and I'm not really sure that you're even going to be out there, but when you are, I just want you to know that I'm excited to meet you. He shared about how he wrote letters to his future wife and I love that. I was so grateful for that example, but I don't know if, any other husband was like me, but I was sitting next to my wife when he was saying that. And I was looking at Brian, but I had this feeling she might be looking at me saying, why can't you do something cool like that? This last week, Brian got an email and I've been in multiple contexts with him this week and he shared it multiple times because it was so meaningful to him. It was just a simple email, but a young man sent him an email and said, I wrote my first letter to my future wife. Hearing and doing. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be this magnanimous thing that God is asking you to do. It can be incredibly small. But you've got to ask the question and you've got to follow through. God, what is it that you're asking me to do? James has walked us through. This is how we engage our head. This is how we engage our heart. This is how we engage our hands. We do God's word. But lastly, I want to look at a phrase that I believe is so important because it gives us hope. It gives us hope for what this can do in our life. 
as we begin to place ourselves under the authority of God's word. Number four, this simple phrase that said, the perfect law that gives freedom. From verse 25, the perfect law that brings freedom. The law that brings freedom. Some restrictions, possibly, that bring freedom. I think in our culture, you might be saying, that doesn't make sense to me. How is it placing ourselves under God's perfect law actually brings us freedom? Because here's how we think about it in our Western culture, is that freedom is the absence of laws, the complete absence of restrictions. I can do anything I want, and that is complete freedom. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about freedom. Let me, write, let me read this, because I don't want to say it wrong, and I want you to hear it really clearly. In the Bible, real freedom is not the absence of any and every constraint, but rather the presence of the right kind of restraint. It's not the absence of restraint, it's the presence of the right kind of restraint. Let me try to explain this. You're a fish. You live in water. You are restrained by water. But you are also uniquely made with a gill system that is able to take oxygen out of the water and use that oxygen in your systems to keep you alive. But that water is a restraint. What if a fish said, I'm tired of these rules. I'm tired of this restraint. I want to live in a different, I want to live on the beach. I want to live in the sand. What if we took that fish out of the water, took it to the beach and put it on the sand? It's not going to go well for that fish, is it? Freedom means that we live in a place and we live in an environment that we were made to flourish. Just like fish were made to flourish in the water, God made us to flourish in the context of obedience to his word, his will, his authority. It's how we're made. That's when we experience true life and genuine freedom. I've got another sacred text here, the owner's manual to my car. Reading some of this about oil changes not long ago, and uh, I feel like there's some really oppressive language in here. <laughs> Talked a lot about oil and how you've got to have oil. You've got to do all these things with oil, 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 oil. I'm not really into oil. In fact, I'm not even sure that we should be using fossil fuels at all. And here they are, they're so judgmental, they're so self-righteous, they're telling me what I need to do as it relates to oil. Their truth about oil is not my truth about oil. Does any of that sound familiar? The people that wrote this book, they made my car. They know how my car works. They know what will make my car flourish. And I can choose to say, I don't agree with you. I'm not going to check my oil with a dipstick. I can say, you're a dipstick. <laughs> I can choose to say that. But my car's not going to flourish. 
Friends, we are made by him. And if we're made by him, we've got to humbly come to that place where we say, I will flourish if I align my life to your truth. Even if I don't understand it, even if it doesn't always make sense to me, even if it runs completely counter to everything that the world is saying about me, God, I want you to be the one to tell me how to live. And James would tell us to do that, it takes humility. Humility is a word and a theme that James uses over and over because you don't even start genuine faith apart from humility. It takes humility for us to place ourselves under the authority of God's word. Why would we do it? Because we trust him. Because if he made us, if he knows how we flourish, then obedience to him, friends, is always in our best interest. Obedience is always in our best interest. And you know what moves me to believe that over and over and over again in my life? It's just looking at the cross. Jesus was the only one who ever lived out perfectly the perfect law of God. But he also took the penalty for not living out the perfect law of God, not because he didn't do it, but because we didn't do it. And he stepped in, in our place. He gave his life for us. And I look at that, I imagine in my mind, my savior stretched out on a cross for me. How can I not trust that? How can I not believe that he doesn't have my best interest at heart? Friends, obedience to the authority of God's word is always always, always in your best interest. Let's pray. God, we humbly want to say to you, we want you to tell us how to live. We love your authority in our life. God, we trust you. We want to surrender to you more and more and more. God, I just pray out of your kindness, you would continue to reveal your word to us as we look intently, as we hold the mirror up to our heart. God, as we obey the things that you ask us to do, and as we trust you, God, that we know that we will flourish in obedience to you, God, we just ask you, more and more to reveal yourself to us. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.